everything bass fishing. Coming to you worldwide from MegaWare Kill Guard Studios. Hey everybody, great to be back for another episode of Bass Edge Radio. That's right, the June 1st episode, number 401. Man, uh, another fun-filled episode, obviously, coming up. Uh, hopefully an educational experience from the professional bass fishing world. Man, if you've liked any of our recent episodes, uh, reminder, subscribe, like, uh, check out that YouTube channel. Of course, any of your streaming methods, go ahead and subscribe to those as well so that you never miss another episode of Bass Edge Radio. Quick shout out to our title sponsor. Been with us since 2006, of course, talking about MegaWare, the first do-it-yourself keel protector. Uh, super happy they continue to stay with us. Manufacturing also several other boat accessories. Uh, make sure that you see them at keelguard.com. Well, if uh, you watched or listen to the last episode of Bass Edge Radio, our 400th episode, you know that we gave away a $125 Midway USA gift card, uh, or at least we're going to give away based on some actions through that process. And uh, of course, we've, we've uh, done that. And I want to give a big shout out to the winner, Brian Postma. Brian Postma, you have won the $125 Midway USA gift card. Congratulations. Brian posted on our YouTube channel, said that he has listened to all 400 episodes of Bass Edge Radio. Man, that is awesome to see. Uh, shoot us an email, support at BassEdge.com. We'll be sure you receive that $125 gift certificate. You can also DM us on IG or uh, hit us up with a comment there on, on YouTube, and, and we'll, we'll get in touch with you for sure. So uh, congratulations, Brian. Uh, quick update. Uh, it's June, obviously. Summertime is here, and Bass Angler Magazine, one of our great media partners, the summertime issue is out. Uh, you can check that out at BassAnglerMag.com. Uh, one of the cool things I have seen in that particular issue was an article that was done with Mike Iaconelli talking about noise and vibrations while you're fishing. Is it good? Is it bad? Um, maybe it's good. You know, I think long term, we've always thought noise, at least when we were younger or when I was younger, you know, dad used to always say, be quiet. We don't want to scare the fish and all that kind of good stuff. But uh could be good. We, we see a lot of, lot of different uh, things with the hydro wave and, and uh, I mean, you see it a lot in some other styles of fishing, particularly striper fishing. So uh, anyway, that's a great article there. Make sure you check that out. Bass Angler Magazine, that summer issue is out. Um, well, here it is. My take on the latest on the water action with uh, tournament highlights. Uh, of course, uh, early or, or I guess you know, kind of mid-month, mid-May, as we put out that mid-May podcast, this event was going on. It was the Lay Lake Elite Series. Uh, that event won by Will Davis Jr., a local hammer there, obviously in central Alabama. Man, um, squeaked by Brandon Polinick on the last day to get that victory. Uh, primarily, Will was relying on, on a lot of local knowledge, fishing high percentage areas. Spent a lot of time up there by the dam and uh, all kinds of areas and spots throughout the event. But uh, that local knowledge seemed to be very successful for Will. Uh, congratulations to him. 
I, I think probably the most interesting story that came out of that particular event was Polinick's second place, um, you know, finish. Uh, he basically did it right there. Uh, you know, I'm going to call it on released fish in Beeswax Creek. You know, um, you could take this back to uh, the 2007 Bassmaster Classic. Uh, Kevin Van Dam finished third place in that event, primarily focusing on Beeswax, Beeswax Creek. He came back in a 2010 Bassmaster Classic on Lay Lake, actually won the event in Beeswax Creek. Polinick almost won this event. Um, I think a lot of those Fisher retreads, the, the landing there at Beeswax is uh, the most popular tournament landing on Lay Lake. Of course, in Alabama, uh, everybody, it seems like everybody fishes down there. So um, it's, uh, it's pretty interesting, obviously. I don't mean any disrespect by it. That's a great strategy. Um, it's obviously got some history to it. Uh, it was just uh, pretty neat to see Brandon kind of capitalize on that. And um, I got to say that uh, dude's on fire right now. Uh, he finished second at Santee, went, um, I think, no, not, not second at Santee. He, he finished uh, second at Wheeler Lake just, just, uh, just this past week. So um, that was pretty cool to see. Uh, then, of course, he had second at Lay. Uh, I know he did really well at Santee. He's only had one hiccup. Polinick, uh since he won AOI last year, and that was uh, over at Lake Seminole. Had a, had a rough finish there, but man, that, that guy's on fire. Um, lastly, with that Lay Lake Elite Series event, Jason Christie, nine pounds, four ounces. That's just a freaking bomb of a fish out there on Lay Lake, so uh, that was cool to watch. Then um, the MLF Bass Pro Tour on Lake Gunnersville did not disappoint either. Um, man, fish caught from six inches to 20 plus foot of water. Congrats, obviously, to Jacob Wheeler. Um, I think that's his sixth national title. To say he's on fire would be an understatement. Uh, he did he did have a hiccup the tournament before that. But uh, I think it was the first or second time maybe he's missed the knockout round in all of his Bass Pro Tour events in that, that tournament previous to uh, his Gunnersville win. So he went out for blood, and, and he got it. So... Um, that was cool to see. The second place angler in that event, young angler, we're actually going to have right here on this episode of Bass Edge um, in our feature angler spotlight coming up here in probably just about 15 minutes or so. Um, that's Jacob Wall. Um, Jacob had an epic day catching 26 plus pounds on that first qualifying day. Uh, caught some fish in some real interesting ways. We're going to dial that in with Jacob and, and talk to him about all of that good stuff right here on this episode. So stay tuned for that. Um, if you wanted an education on bluegill bed fishing, Gunnersville was also a great tournament to watch. Uh, that BBT event, so many anglers did well targeting that shallow water bluegill spawning where those big fish are lurking, kind of hanging around, um, looking to feed on those bluegill and, and, and it's, you know, almost like a sight fishing game up there when, when you're doing that. And it was great to watch. If you haven't been able to check that out, go back. We've talked about it a lot right here on Bass Edge Radio. I think David Dudley won the Bluegill battle <laughs> in that event. Um, I'm pretty sure he finished in uh, fourth place. And uh, his focus was primarily wacky worms fishing, fishing around those bluegill beds. So he did a great job. Um, another event that went off, man, it was a busy, busy half of the month. The Toyota Series at Sam Rayburn down in Texas. Absolute historical blowout. 
Alec Morrison won the three-day event by 24 pounds. That's an MLF uh, margin of victory. 24 pounds over a three-day tournament. That's, that's absolutely incredible. Had a huge day one with 27 pounds, 29 on day two, then capping it with a 16-pound bag. Fortunately, we're going to hear about Alex's success. He's going to be joining us in our showcase portion of this episode of the show. Alec being from New York, uh, it's going to be fun to hear from him, get the opportunity to understand how he's developed through the years. And uh, it's, going to, it's going to be cool to hear as a young angler, 23 years old, um, kind of getting his perspective on that big W. Um, so we got two young guys on, on this show. We got uh, Jacob Wall, going to be our featured angler again. Like I say, he's 28, and then Alec Morrison, 23. Man, the the, the young guys are are really making a lot of noise. So the last event we had this this uh, latter part of of May, here as we tape this June one episode, was the uh, Wheeler Lake event. I mentioned Polinick finished second in that event. But a uh, huge shout out to Adam Rasmussen out of Wisconsin. Came back from, I think, the seventh place to uh, win that event. Had a big bag on the last day, 21 pounds, 10 ounces. Said he capitalized on a shad spawn, a little bit of ledge fishing. But the shad spawn was really his go-to deal that last day. That's why he, he uh, capped that 21 pounds pretty quick. But it sounds like Decatur Flats was... Uh, you know, a Metroplex and rush hour. It was it was just getting crushed out there. A lot of guys kind of bumping into each other. And uh, it, it seemed like Wheeler is back a little. A lot of five fish limits. So great to see Wheeler fishing pretty well. Uh, probably going to need a little bit more grass to uh, kind of get some space in between some anglers out there. But uh, right now those hard spots are, are what's really making it work for, for anglers out there. And we'll probably continue as we roll into June. Um, man, we're almost done with this segment right here, but man, I'd be crazy if I didn't give a shout out to uh, the Johnston boys, man. The Corey, Chris Johnson, fishing the Elite Series. Um, those guys went up to Sturgeon Bay, uh, that, which they fish often, but they went up the, when I say often, they fish this tournament often. I doubt they're at Sturgeon Bay fishing very often, but they had a two-day team total of 53 pounds, eight ounces, finished second place in a, you know, 150-plus team tournament. It took 54 weight to win. Two egg harbor, Wisconsin angler, Spencer Sentwalski. Sorry, I butchered that, Spencer, but, and Paul Castellano. So uh, congratulations to go to those guys. But, dude, I mean, the job going up there and uh, kind of making that thing work really says a lot about their prowess, man. Well, that's my tourney derb recap of uh, the highlights. We're coming up next, the showcase segment with Alec Morrison out of New York. Uh, it's going to be fun to hear about his dominating event there at Sam Rayburn. Y'all stay tuned. This thing's going to keep rolling right here on Bass Edge. Radio. We'll be back right after this message. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so choose the protection the pros pick. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. The MegaWare Keel Guard is made tough and made to stick. Install it yourself in less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Insist on the original keel guard the pros have picked for 25 years. MegaWare Keel Guard. Nitro, a rock 
rush of tournament adrenaline. Nitro, the choice of champion, where performance meets play. Nitro, a big water beast, a pure fishing machine. Nitro, release the champion with it. All right, here we go. Welcome to back to Bass Edge Radio. We're in the uh, showcase segment. And as you can see on the screen, we have the uh, the new Texas Hammer <laughs> with us today. We got Alec Morrison. Man, Alec, thanks for being on the show. I appreciate you joining Bass Edge. Hey, Kurt. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely, man. Well, we talked about a little bit about it in the intro. Uh, a a just absolute beatdown that you placed on on some some awesome anglers out there at uh, Lake Sam Rayburn. Um, I know it's been talked about in the media as your first time out there fishing a Toyota event, um, but but first it, it's a long drive from from Texas back up upstate to New York, and you are upstate. You live up there in Peru, like that Plattsburgh Lake Champlain area. Um, yeah, what was yeah. the drive like? What was going through your mind as as you're you're knocking back twenty five hours or so? <laughs> it was it was a good drive. It didn't go all that. Uh didn't it didn't take all that long it felt like uh, i made some pit stops along the way so it was a little hectic um but overall good vibes on the way back had the trophy in the front seat and uh i was ripping back to my uh, home lake of champlain absolutely man and and let, let's talk about that for a minute you know you're a young guy 23 right mm-hmm. 23 years old um but you have make no mistake you have spent a lot of time out on the water up north, really kind of, um, you know, honing your skills and and trying to get to that next point in, in what you feel like is the progression of a, a bassin career, right? So, um, yeah. what, what you know, how did that progress for you being, you know, a young guy from New York uh, going down to Texas to kind of jump in this Toyota event? You know, Champlain was definitely uh, a good place to grow up on and spend a lot of time on. Um, definitely, it just there's a lot of adversity, a lot of a lot of different things going on on Champlain. It was able to definitely help me hone hone in my uh, my abilities, whether it was shallow or was deep, or you know, with electronics or without. And um, it was definitely uh, it was definitely a little bit of a jump to go down to Rayburn you know, and, uh, fish somewhere I hadn't been before and not only just fish a new place, but, to to enter an event down there. And I gave myself a decent amount of time, you know, not enough time to look at the whole lake, that's for sure. But, but definitely enough time to break down some good areas. And, uh, it, uh, helped out a lot. And I was able to go down there. I wasn't on a complete whim. You know, I, I did my background research and, I, I had a had an idea that not a not a small area but a pretty big area about a ten mile area of the lake I figured it would be going down in and I wasn't there to flip bushes or fish grass I was there to fish deep and strictly do that the whole time and that's what I did. 
So, so let's, I, I think I saw in some of the media that you spent 10 days uh, pre-practice. Is that right? You, you were down there yes, 10 yes. days. So, so when you get down there, obviously this, I mean, it's a long trek from New York. You're there to have some fun. It's, uh, you know, New York's kind of progressing a little faster, I guess, probably this year than most years. You, it didn't have yeah, that bad really of a winter up there. But, um, you know, you got down to Rayburn. You, you wanted to have some fun fishing, for one. Go kind of experience this, you know, southwestern Toyota division in Texas. Put some time and, and effort into uh, honing your skills on a new body of water, kind of even in a new atmosphere, right? I mean, uh, Rayburn, a lot different than, than Lake Champlain and, and maybe some other other uh, bodies of water that you spent some time. I know, you, I know you've done quite a bit of fishing in Florida as well over the last, you know, many months. So um, yeah. what was your thought process in putting that much time um, and, and how did you capitalize? Because I could go to a lake in 10 days and figure a couple things out, but doesn't mean I'm going to win the tournament. But you were able to do that. How did you, how did you put that time into capitalizing and putting together a good game plan? Man, you know, I knew it was a good little chunk of time for me to to probably get a decent amount of uh, looking around done. But like I said earlier, it wasn't it wasn't enough time to look at the whole lake. Um, so going into it, I knew I wanted to stay in one general region of the lake, and really where a lot of the work came into during those practice days was, was just strictly staying behind the wheel and uh, idling and crafting. And that was huge. I was able to, my first day on Rayburn, I was had a really successful day fishing out deep and fishing brush piles that I had found just that day. So the first day really gave me a lot of confidence to just stick with it and to really leave no stone unturned in those areas that I thought were definitely better than average. Uh, so yeah, a lot of it was, was more so just idling and spending hours, but hours behind the engine, uh, as opposed to up there on the front deck. Let, let's kind of break that down real quick for the listeners and, and, and kind of grasp what that means. I mean, you know, when you're covering a, a small territory in that many mm -hmm. days, do you have like a specific pattern that you're idling in? Do you have a specific program that you're trying to follow to make sure you don't leave, you know, those stones unturned, like you mentioned? Yeah. So there at first, you know, I didn't really have a plan uh, as far as how I was going to go about graphing certain areas um, up north will often like, you know, I'll graph one whole area in one day and then, move on to the next or whatever. But here I wasn't really exactly sure what I needed to be targeting at first. Mm -hmm. So like I said earlier, I, I did a decent amount of fishing as well, probably about 60% of the day graphing and about 40% of the day fishing. And this was a 12 hour day. Right. But um, after that first successful day, it kind of clued me into, okay, I caught, I caught three big ones today and they were all in that 20 to 30 foot range and they were all way off the bank. They were on like the ends of points. You have a lot of those big flats out there that are anywhere from 12 to 20 foot. And then once you get to the edge, like the main lake break, it would drop into 30 or 40. And some of those first big fish I caught, uh, they were on, they were near around or near those breaks 
uh, definitely helped if there was a drain somewhere nearby. And uh, they came off piles in around that same range. So the next, the next few days, that's what I began basically graphing the most was just those real main lake breaks, long points. Um, and like I said, it would, it was an added bonus if, you know, there was, uh, as you guys call them drains or ditches up North, someone might say, um, if those were around, you know, that was definitely a, a bonus as well. So once you started keying on, on getting some of those big bites on those drops, uh, the edges, drains, mm-hmm. creek channel swings, those types of things. So is that when then you were like, all right, I'm on to something and yeah. you, you continue to kind of probe that type of structure? Oh, no doubt. A lot of it then was just not only looking at my unit that day and trying to decipher, okay, how many of these areas set up similar and that I can go idle today and look for piles. Or I would even get home that night, get right on Navionics on my phone, and I'd be making dots at things uh, on there contour-wise that looked good and stuff that I knew I needed to check before practice was up. And then, you know, I'd be out on the water and I'd graph a couple areas and, you know, go through things real well. And then I'd pull out my phone and be like, oh, yeah, I wanted to go check this and this as well. And I'd either, you know, run over there do whatever I need to do. So a lot of it uh, was just breaking down those contours and those areas and trying to get a feel for what I thought was best. Not, not necessarily to get a lot of bites, um, but more so to get those better quality bites where those bigger ones were hanging out. I definitely found, I definitely found some uh, shallow piles in practice uh, that I could get a lot of bites on. And I mean, pull up and catch a limit in five casts. But they would all be, you know, like a pound to two and a half pounds. And although that stuff was good, and I did use that kind of stuff on day three to fill a limit in the morning, uh, that wasn't necessarily what I was after. If I found it, cool. But if not, oh, well, it seemed to me like a lot of the bigger ones I was catching were were definitely set up uh, on something that made sense for them to be on, and they were definitely off the bank. Well, man, that's a great detail on, on how you went about that process. Let's talk real quick about baits. Um, how, how did that work out for you? Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of media already. You use the 10-inch reins, bubbling shaker uh, on, a, on a football head, uh, tungsten football head, and, and then also some drop shot with some reins. What, what specifically outside of just those baits, uh, the 7-inch reins drop shot bait, uh, what was it that that was the key to to those presentations? Yeah, and you know, a lot of it had to do with practice. Uh, uh, during, I would say, three quarters of the practice, maybe more, maybe more like 85% of the day's practice, we had cloud cover, wind, storms rolling in, you know, pressure changes. I was getting bit a lot more on reaction baits, whether that was a swim bait, like a paddle tail, hollow belly, something of that nature, or also like even a glide bait, you know, your bigger presentations. Um, I was still getting bit on the worms in practice. Obviously, they definitely like the worm there. But as that transitioned into the first two days of the tournament, um, we were faced with, uh, you know, high skies, no wind. It was like 90 and 
high humidity. You know, it was just, uh, it was definitely one of those slow, definitely different day uh, than practice. Uh, so I definitely, I felt like it was better in that case for me to just slow down because at this point I had put the time in, I knew, uh, the stuff that I would be fishing over the course of the next two days was going to be what I felt like was the most high percentage stuff to catch big ones on. And I wasn't fishing. I was fishing the pile slow itself, but I wouldn't necessarily spend a lot of time there. You know, if they weren't, big ones weren't there and they weren't biting i would leave but those two variations of worms really came into play during the tournament when i had to slow down during those tougher conditions makes a lot of sense quick adjustment real quick before before we let you go i got two quick things first off how surprised were you at your margin of victory when you came in the first day you had 27 you backed it up with 29 you've got a monstrous lead uh was that were you taken back by that, or or did you kind of expect that from from kind of dot talk of, <laughs> of what guys were catching prior to the event? Yeah, you know, I was obviously taken back by it a little bit, but at the same time, you know, that's what I was after, and I knew that's what lived in there. And like I said, I had some good days of practice. I caught a lot of big fish. My very first day, I caught thirty one. I caught a thirty one pound limit, and then threw yeah. back another twenty pound limit. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Even though practice did get tougher after that first day, uh, I knew what what the potential was, and I knew that if you know, I I felt like if I didn't do it, somebody else was going to do it. So yeah. I definitely yeah. put the time in, and, and uh, I was a little blown blown away a little bit day one. Right. Uh, but that's because all three days of the event, I'm normally pretty good at this. I like to you know accurately weigh my fish and keep track of them but in this event i didn't weigh a single one on my scale before i put it in the well i i would unhook it and that was in the well and i was back at it so uh so day one i thought i had around 24 pounds and at the time of me coming in 24 and change was leading so i was like okay you know i'm on track but i'm i'm on track but i got i'm gonna have to keep this up and then i weighed 27.9 and i was like okay this is awesome but I was just, you know, I, I really, that, that first day, I was able to figure out kind of something special about about one spot. And just, uh, I after that day, I, I kind of let them rest. I, I didn't, uh, I didn't, I basically left them biting the first day. So in hopes they'd be there day two. So I wasn't sure if they were going to be there. Um, but I was excited to get back after them. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. Well, that's awesome. Um, I know you're fishing the Northern Toyotas uh, later on this summer. Uh, Champlain event yep. kicks off at the end of this month, uh, the very end of June. Uh, then you got Thousand Islands, I believe, in August, uh, Potomac in September. You've already yes. qualified for the uh, Toyota Championship in November. So outside of those and maybe some fishing at home, you know, you've kind of made this this – this push, you've got a lot of media here for the last couple of weeks. Uh, a lot of people talking about Alec Moore, Alec Morrison, and and how he went to Texas and and just blew it away. Where do you see your vision for where Alec wants to go over the next, you know, kind of twelve to twenty four months? What's your process of getting or moving on? Are are you kind of happy where you're at, or or is this something that that you're wanting to pursue deeper? Um. Yeah, definitely always looking to pursue deeper. Um, but as far as plans over the next, uh, 
you know, the rest of this tournament season. Uh, those plans will remain the same. Just going to do those Northern Toyotas and fish as much as I can. Um, one little thing is I was able to obtain my captain's license over the winter down in okay. Florida. They have a lot of options down there to get it. Uh, uh, New York is kind of I know where to... this is going, so have you named the guide service yet? <laughs> no, I have not. But okay. but I will be uh I'll be open for trips, uh, you know, in between events on uh you know, really wherever people want to go, wherever I may be, which includes the of course Champlain, you know, amazing fishery along with the St. Lawrence River, Ontario, and Cayuga as well. So, so where, uh, where can folks find you at? Are you going to just uh, kind of promote this stuff on social? Where, where, where do they, where can they uh, tag, you know, get a hold of that? Yeah. yeah, I'm still getting things together, of course, but uh, I got a website on the way. But uh, as for now, go ahead and hit me up on my Instagram, either Instagram or Facebook. Uh, both is uh, both places are the same handle. It's just Alec Morrison fishing uh, and uh, shoot me a message and I'm, quick to reply and uh, uh, we'll get, we'll get something situated. But, oh, yeah. It's always a good time. I, I look forward to taking some people out on some great fisheries and getting on some smallmouth. you know? Absolutely, man. They got them up there. Smallmouth, large mouth, whatever, whatever yeah. anybody wants to catch it. It, it can go <laughs> down up in New York. I, I think uh, obviously by, by most bass anglers that, that fish, uh, wide range geographically, they know how good New York is, but, but for weekend anglers that maybe don't get to travel quite as much, I mean, easily New York is top five states in the, in the country for bass fishing. It's uh, a shorter season, no but it is mm -hmm. some incredible, incredible fishing in the state of New York. So, no doubt. All right, Alec, man, it's been awesome to have you on the show. Um, appreciate you being uh, uh, with us today. We're going to Thanks continue so watching your career progress, for sure. Oh, man. Man, can't wait to come back on. All right. Alex, stay right there. Everyone, don't move a muscle. Uh, we're going to go from reservoir fishing in Texas to TBA impoundments in Alabama. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be fun to jump into this feature angler spotlight with Jacob Wall. Alex, you can hang out, too, if you want. But we're, we're going to be right back. We're going to throw Jacob into the hot seat. Y'all stay tuned for more right here from Bass Edge. Come on, man, let's roll! What the? To catch the fish, you need to be one with the fish. With PowerPole shallow water anchors, you'll get the ultimate in precision, power, and control so you can catch more fish. No face paint or phony fins necessary. Excessive shock and vibration are two leading causes for premature battery failure. Prolong the life of your batteries with the new MegaWare Battery Guard. The Battery Guard sits under your battery and absorbs excessive vibration and bounce, reducing G-Shock by up to 80%. Great for boats or anywhere shock and vibration can damage a battery. The Battery Guard can easily be trimmed to fit virtually any custom shape or battery size. Save money by protecting your batteries. Spend more time on the water and less on maintenance. Find yours at MegaWare.com. Alright, here we go. 
more and more Bass Edge Radio. Man, we've got the uh, the TVA guy in the house right now. A new TVA guy. But, uh, man, everybody say hello, or I should say hello, to Mr. Jacob Wall, MLF Bass Pro Tour Angler. Jacob, thank you so much for being with us on Bass Edge Radio. Thanks, Kurt. Yeah, it's a good opportunity to be on here. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Uh, we, we got a great glimpse of uh, Gunnersville with the uh, Bass Pro Tour there in town. Uh, Jacob Wheeler taking the win. But, man, you had a phenomenal event. Your best finish in the Bass Pro Tour up to this point. Finished second place. Uh, how did it feel doing it on the new home lake? I mean, coming into it, man, I had a lot of pressure on my shoulders, you know. Um, you know, living here for four and a half years, it's like put a lot of time in on the water. I'm one of those guys that that spends countless, countless hours out there, days on end. You know, I wake up in the morning, all I can think about is getting back out on the lake. You know, I, I live about 10 minutes from the honeycomb boat ramp. If you're familiar with Gunnersville, you know that's kind of the lower end of the lake. Yeah. And uh, if I drive past honeycomb, I can get to, you know, more mid-lake stuff in about 20, 25 minutes. So I'm I'm so close to the lake, man, that I live and breathe fishing out there. And so I was pretty, you know, excited to have the event there. Um, I knew the potential going out there mid-May was was really good. You know, it's one of my favorite times, if not my favorite time, to fish Gunnersville. Um, it's early ledge season. They start to pull out. And a lot of the local guys, I mean, some of them figure it out and they go out there and find them. But, you know, it's not like they're everywhere out deep that time of the year, you know, early ledge season. So you've got to really, like, know where to look and understand your electronics. And so I felt really, you know, comfortable going out there. And I was pretty excited for the event. Right, right. That's great, man. And a lot of Bass Pro Tour anglers live in that region of the country. So so yeah. there was a lot of hometowners, right, in, in this event. But let's let's go back to kind of where you're from and, and kind of your your uh, evolution into the MLF Bass Pro Tour. Man, you're originally from the Northwest. Um, tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you developed your fishing when, you know, when you were fishing in the high school and the, uh, I guess the early Toyota or Costa division at that time back there in, in the West coast. Yeah. So I'll just kind of briefly touch base on everything that I've done, you know, to, to get to the point where I'm at here. Um, you know, obviously to get to this level is a huge achievement. You know, it's very difficult to get to. I don't know if everybody's really aware of how to qualify for it or not. Or um, how difficult it is. <laughs> or how difficult it is to get yeah. to this point. Uh, but I'll briefly, uh, I'll just kind of start from the beginning and I'll get into where I'm at now. But um, when I was really young, when I was like, you know, 12 years old, looked at local clubs in the Oregon, Southern Oregon area. I grew up in, in Jacksonville, Oregon, which is real close to Medford. Uh, it's very Southern Oregon. So we're real dry climate. Um, it's not really like what people think, you know, the West Coast or Oregon might be real rainy and wet. That's more like Central Oregon up to like Northern Oregon. So where I'm from, it's real dry. We've got a lot of more Northern California kind of weather. So real dry, almost like desert. You know, during the summertime, we have a lot of like forest fire kind of stuff, you know, that happens. It's 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 pretty crazy. I mean, it's definitely not like what you would expect, you know, seeing pictures from out West. But um, anyway, grew up there. Did a lot of club tournaments when I was young. I did a lot of stuff, you know, with team, you know, team tournaments, did a lot of individual tournaments. And then I got into, uh, I did actually casting for kids. I don't know if you've heard of that before, Kurt. Absolutely. Absolutely. I did, I did that when I was real little and I actually traveled throughout the country doing casting, target casting competitions. Yes. And what they used to do is set up these targets and you had three different distances that you'd actually, you know, pitch, flip, and then cast to hit the target. 
Right. And I actually think, I think, God, it's been so long. I think I got third in the nation at casting nice. um, when I was, when I was really young. So I did that. Then I did junior level stuff and I, I fished a bunch of junior level competitions. Real quick. So that casting competition, if I'm not mistaken, the finals were always taking place at the Bassmaster Classic. Is that right? Yep. Yep. So, 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 so you, you, as a young guy, you got the limelight of where this whole bass fishing thing could evolve to. Absolutely. Absolutely. In 2008, I got to go to the classic and watch Alton, uh, Alton Jones win. I believe it was on Hartwell. Yes. And, yes, that's uh, right. uh, you know, I was there doing the, doing the target casting. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So that was cool, man. It was good. I got to, you know, I've got stuff in this room, but you know, you might be able to see some of it. There's a, let's see, where's my finger at? There it is. There's a flag up there, KVD flag. And that thing signed from Kevin. I think that was from 2008, you know, so I still have, you know, memorabilia floating around in this room from those times. So That's pretty cool. cool. Um, and then I did high school, you know, high school fishing after the junior level stuff. And um, I actually got second in the nation in 2012 uh, with a buddy of mine, Colby Pearson. We teamed up, okay. went out to Lake Murray and got second um, at the nationals there. Uh, that was in high school. And then in college, I fished for the University of Oregon for four years and competed in, in every national championship every year. I qualified for every single one. Man, um, awesome. And I, I actually won one of the, still to this day, one of the most memorable uh, wins I've had, you know, I haven't had a, a lot of big wins. You know, I've had a lot of, I'm a very consistent angler. I have good finishes, but I don't have a lot. I haven't had a lot of wins under my belt. Okay. Um, down on Lake Mead, I was fishing a, a Bassmaster regional college tournament. It was a three day event. And I, I, I took the win on that one and nice. I got to, got to hold up two trophies because <laughs> it was a team tournament. I fished it by myself. And you were solo. <laughs> yep. So you won, you won both of them. Yep. Yeah. So <laughs> they're like, they, they're like, we've never done this before. Um, I was the first guy to ever win one of those Bassmasters uh, solo. And so they're like, I guess you hold up both. And <laughs> they handed me both of them. <laughs> that is so cool. So so you evolved from there. And really, MLF, uh, you know, they've really planted their foot out west. You know, they have the Toyota series out there. And that was kind of your progression to the next step, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, living out west, I didn't really have the option to do the opens. Um, I've heard, I, I guess there was Western Opens for a there while. There was. Yes, there was. I, I wasn't, that was before my time. So I was I was pretty much what was in my wheelhouse and what was present to me was the uh, Costa Series, you know, now Toyota Series. Yep. And uh, I jumped into that in 2018, the year I graduated college in 17, jumped into the, the Costas in 18. And my first year out, uh, that year they were taking the top 10 in the points to qualify for the, the FLW Tour at the time. Okay. And so I finished eighth in the points and I qualified and I was not ready for it. Did I you was go? not ready for it. I know. You- I was like, I was like, wait a second. I qualified for the tour? <laughs> I was like, I just graduated college. Wait, wait. How do I do this? What do I need to do? And so we ended up coming back to Gunnersville for the championship that year. And I really liked the area and started looking for houses to possibly rent around here. And my dad and I stayed an extra couple of days and, and found the place we're still living in now. We're still renting, um, you know, probably going to look to buy here in the next year or so. 
but you know, still running the same place that we found then. And that's cool. And it's uh, it's been great. I love living here. And we decided to move. And man, it all happened so fast. In like two months, I had to come out here, find a place, move everything across the country, buy a boat, figure out how to fish out here, and then boom, like January came around, we went to Rayburn. So 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 you were on the pro circuit at that time, the MLF pro circuit, which is now called the Invitationals, and uh, took you. I think you took a little lump the first year, but then you were top 10 in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Then, you know, not a great, still a solid finish in 2021, but 2022, you qualify for the Bass Pro Tour. Now you're at the, the premier uh, event series in the organization. Um, what was it like as you jumped into this new realm after really, it, it sounds like a long time, three years, but. Man, that's not a ton of time. Um, what was it like now? You got the KVD flag on your on your door right there. Now KVD's idling next to you, getting ready for blast off. Yeah, man, it was. It's it's you know it's surreal when you go out there for for someone like myself. You know, obviously, you know, went to those tournaments when I was real, real young and got to see these guys competing, and it was always just a dream. And it seemed so like just it didn't seem like it was something that I could even like it wasn't didn't seem feasible you know it didn't seem like it was even within reach it seemed so far out of like reach that <laughs> right. uh, you know being in that position you know this year being on the on the tour um, like you said launching the boat next to these guys it, it, it was surreal you know the first tournament it's like whoa look at all these dudes that I'm fishing against but you know at the same time like you know four years fishing uh the tour you know now that man they change the name of it every year it seems like but uh yeah you know, FLW tour, then to the pro circuit and now to the invitationals fishing that for four years. I, I did compete in 20, what was it? 2020, I think, God, the years all blend together. Maybe it was 2021. I can't remember, but I competed in some of those, uh, uh, what they call them? Those, uh, super tournaments. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So, you, so you kind of got around some of the guys that, that jumped in because that was the COVID year and yep. you had a lot of the, uh, MLF Bass Pro Tour events, kind of get squashed and they gave the opportunity for for those bbt anglers to jump into the pro circuit events which turned into those super tournaments right yeah exactly exactly and and they were cool man they were they were good events they're huge fields i mean it was like over 200 guys yeah um you know i did pretty well in those events i think we went to uh, lacrosse and i placed in the 20s um we went to chick and i placed somewhere in like the 30s maybe 40s i cut a check you know on right uh, i think i want to say lake all erie. three of them i think all three of them that we did yeah the other one was lake erie yeah oh i didn't cut a check there that's right so i cut a check out of two of the three but cool very cool well that was great to see obviously you you've made this you've made this trek from the west coast to the East Coast, really just putting putting the faith in what you want to do and 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 freaking making it happen, dude. I wanna I wanna break down some stuff on Gunnersville uh, for this last event, real for this last event at the Bass Pro Tour that you finished in second place. Man, I was able to watch uh, live for for uh, some of this event, and uh, I was lucky enough to jump on through. Uh, probably a 30 or 40 minute segment where you were on camera primarily and um, you already had a really good bag. You talked about, you know, understanding these early spots where these fish will show up out on ledges in May and, and that you really like this time of year. Uh, you had a good bag. You were either leading, I think you were definitely leading and, and you weren't sure how hard to push, right? Cause you don't want to beat up your fish. 
but uh, you broke out of bait, ended up catching a couple five-pounders. You jumped from 22 to 26. Let's talk about that process, the bait you used for that, because I really feel like this is a great uh, learning experience for the, for the listeners out there. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll just give a quick background of my, just kind of how I got into swim bait fishing. It's not like I just all of a sudden was like, oh man, glide baits, they're a big deal. I'm going to go buy a couple, you know. Um, I've been throwing swim baits out West, you know, grew up doing that with a good buddy of mine, same guy that I actually got second at uh, the high school nationals with. He and I got super into swim bait fishing when we were young, you know, it was big in California. We lived real close to that uh, down there. They're imitating trout. And we lived in Oregon and we have a lot of trout. So it was like, okay, maybe we can take the same thing and do it here. And so we started really, you know, delving into that and doing that and uh, got pretty well versed on throwing a lot of big baits. And uh, that time I wasn't buying a lot of expensive baits because I was obviously in high school and stuff. And we were, we were making a lot of baits in our garage. We were, we were, you know, belt sanders and you know (laughs) big saws and like making stuff that we could you know fish and we caught big fish on that stuff um but that's kind of how i got my roots in big bait fishing you know obviously i did buy some baits and got you know familiar with some baits you know the gancraft joint and claw was one i threw a lot um you know lunker punker um ms slammer huddlestons you know a lot of those baits i played you know played a big role in my 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 younger years swim bait fishing but uh, recently over the last like year, I, I started getting back into it. Cause when I moved out here, I was like, man, I just need to figure out how to fish in the East and in the South. Like it was so new to me. I kind of put that stuff aside a little bit. I was like, I really just need to focus on like getting in tune with these fisheries. Um, so this year, uh, I, I, this last winter, I really started to pick it up more and more. And, um, I picked up this bait here. It's uh, it's called a KGB Chad Shad. And, uh, it, you what, know, where, where's that bait, mate? What, what's KGB? What, where's K, it? KGB is, is it actually, Russian? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so, so it actually, what that is, is it's a guy's name. His name's Kevin Brightwell. Uh, believe it or not, when I was growing up, I, I actually watched the progression of Kevin making these baits. Uh, maybe not this particular one. I don't remember mm-hmm. what he called them. He has different, different names for different baits, but um, he's been doing this for a really, really long time. But uh, KGB, I believe, are his initials. Okay. And, um, he, so this is a resin one. This one's, you know, something that he, it, you know, it's not mass produced, you know, they're made one by one. It's not a molded plastic bait, you know, Spro and, and Kevin KGB kind of teamed up and they made the one that is now mass produced by Spro, you know, the okay. chat shed, which is the same bait. It's just a, uh, two piece injected plastic bait, not a solid resin bait. So, Anyway, I started throwing this around a lot um, before Gunnersville for, you know, a number of months and getting in tune with this bait, you know, because each swim bait, um, you know, if, if, if the viewers that are listening or you, Kurt, you probably, if you've thrown swim baits, you understand, like, um, each bait kind of acts a little differently. Sure. You know, you, you've got to kind of get the feel for each bait and, and understand, you know, how it swims and the cadence of how to work it Definitely. and uh, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, yeah line size, uh, rod, reel, all that stuff. So that was the guy that I spent a lot of time with. And this guy right here was the bait that I pulled out on the first day of the tournament on Gunnersville. And I had, like you said, I already had a good bag. I think I had 24, 13 at that point. And I pulled, and if anybody was watching, they're probably thinking, why is he not laying off his fish? Well, I ran from the lower end of the lake all the way as far up as you can pretty much find offshore schools of fish on Gunnersville in deep water 
and I just wanted to check it to see how it was, you know, how the fish were acting. I decided to pick that thing up and it was, I mean, it was ridiculous. If anybody was watching the live, I mean, you got to witness it firsthand. I had no idea they would eat it like they did. And they were basically fighting over it. I threw it out there and sunk it down about three or four feet over the top of the school, started working it. And it was like, oh my Lord, every fish in that group started to come up to my bait on active target. And I, I, I didn't even know what to do at first. I'm like, how, how do I work this? You know, cause I was learning it as I did it. And before I could really even work the bait much, one locks they up. On it. It. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I got one, you know? And, you know, I freaked out and go, oh, it's a 10 pounder. And everybody's giving me crap online for that. But man, when you're in that kind of position, when you've got that kind of weight in the boat and you pick up a bait like that, just off of a whim, I mean, people can sit on their computer and sit online and say what they will about what, you know, my commentary is, but until emotions are flowing. Yeah. Dude, you can't, you can't control it. You just got to roll with the flow just like you did by picking up that bait. Let, let's, let's dive into that real quick. I mean, you're, you're ledge fishing. Uh, these days we're looking at forward facing sonar. I'm sure you're seeing some fish that are up there. How deep is the spot? How far up do they have to come to react to this bait? You mentioned it running, you know, three, four, five foot deep. Um, kind of give the, the audience a little bit of insight on, on how the drawing power was for this particular lure. Okay. Um, this is the juice right here. This I'm going to, I'm going to tell you because I'm, I've always been a very open angler. I'm very happy to share my information that I learned. Uh, I'm not going to give you waypoints, but I'll give you the, <laughs> I'll give you the details. Um, I'm going to ask the hard questions too. I'm going to ask the stuff that hopefully brings that out of you. So oh, I you, appreciate, I appreciate you sharing with us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so that school of fish, when they were set up in what, in my opinion, in the place where they were feeding. So it was a creek channel mouth and I was on the down current side of the creek channel, not the up current side. Um, and that's pretty standard for the TVA. They want to set up on like the, the, the point of the, like, if you've got a, a hump, they're not going to be on the back side of the hump. Most of the time they're going to be on the front side of the hump. And that's right. just kind of how the TVA is. They like to get on the up current side of things. You know, if it's a creek mouth, even though I said they're on the down current side, it's the side of which the current is going to actually be running into, you know, because the other side current's sweeping over top of it and then it's coming down and it's hitting the, you know, the, the down current side, if you can visualize what I'm saying. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So where they feed on that spot is there, you know, it, it's, it's obviously deep. You've got your Creek channel and when they're not really set up to feed, they're kind of on these breaks. They're right on that drop. Right. You know, and they'll go all the way out into the ditch sometimes, you know, but Probably. but when they're set up to feed, they're up here, you know, they're on that flat, you know, right next to the actual creek channel itself. And it's not far. I mean, that school will actually will, you know, kind of trickle all the way out to the break. But the majority of the fish are going to be up on the flat. And so what I did was I set up and I actually would parallel the edge of the creek channel. I would try to set my boat out as far as I could in the main river channel and parallel over top of the top of that flat. And those fish were anywhere from six to 15 feet of water, you know, and that, okay. that shallow, shallow stuff was, uh, you know, obviously the highest point of where it came up. And then the deeper water was off more of that break. And this is real shallow as far as like Tennessee river legend, ledge sure. fishing games. Sure. Um, but this bait, the key to this thing. So I've got on the front hook, I've got a little piece of lead on there. Um, it's actually made by a company that I work with called Nashine Lure Works. 
and it's a small piece of lead that you can put on any bait. Um, he designed it to go on his Erie series of jerk baits, which is they're an awesome jerk bait. You can add this weight or take it off. If you have it on there, it'll slow sink. If you take it off, it'll float. You can clip the weight to get it to suspend. And you can basically do the same thing with your swim bait. You know, you can add one to it. You can add two to it. Um, and what that's going to do is alter the sink rate of the bait. So you can I, find this at Tackle Warehouse, I guess. Yep, Tackle Warehouse. Okay. You can find the weight. Uh, you can find the little weights on the Nashina Lure Works website as well. But yeah, Tackle that's Warehouse. A J, is that a JDM company? They're based out of Canada. Canada. Okay. Yeah, so uh, Hiroshi Nishine, the owner and designer of all the baits, he uh, is actually Japanese. He's from Japan. Right, right. And he moved to Canada. It's a pretty long story okay. short. He moved to right. Canada and he started this company. And uh, it's JDM stuff, but he lives in, in Canada. Gotcha, gotcha. So anyway, that's key, you know, because I want to basically get this bait down. Um, and I'll let you in on a little bit of juice. I, I had a 26-pound bag yesterday in about four hours on Guntersville just fooling around. <laughs> all on this and bigger baits than this. Baits that were, you know, two or three inches bigger than this. And this is a seven-inch bait. So the deal is basically you want to sink this out to the school no matter what depth they're in. And the key is to get it down over about two or three of those fish if it's, you know, a spread-out school. Luckily, that school that I did in the tournament, they were so tight together I'd sink it down over the school and like six or seven or eight of them would all see it at the same time and they'd come up on it. Um, but basically you're trying to get it about two, three, four feet above their head enough to where they'll start to basically draw to the bait. Yes. And then once you start moving a couple of them, I don't know if it's the other competition, fish. Competition, right. Competition. And I don't know if the other fish can feel like in their lateral line, those other fish starting to move. Hmm. I think that must be what it is because I watched it a lot on Active Target. I don't know exactly why they're moving, you know, based on these other fish moving. Because I don't think some of them can even really see what's going on. They just feel it, I think. Okay. And, dude, like, when you get a couple of them going on it and you start twitching that bait. It's like over a flock. <laughs> if you've ever sat on an offshore school of fish and you've watched them chase something and you go, oh, my gosh, they're all coming to the surface to chase something. Like, what are they doing? You know, oh, oh, there must be some, oh, look at that little ball of shad. They must be going after that. Right. That's what they do for that swim bait. That's cool. It's that incredible. So cool, man. Well, how, how difficult was it coming from the, I know you spent a lot of time uh, fishing TVA impoundments. TVA impoundments are really special places. I mean, they, it's, it's a river. If, if anybody's like confused, uh, you know, basically it's a river system running from Knoxville and, and winding down through Tennessee, northern Alabama, um, into Kentucky Lake and, and out to the Ohio River. And, and these TVA lakes, uh, many of them, there's about eight of them, they all kind of set up very similar, but very different from a typical reservoir. And, and that's why I feel like a lot of people have some, some you know, tough times when they go there. Understanding the current, like you explained before, how fish set up on these ledges and and, um, and, and just kind of attacking these styles of fisheries. Um, how did you become uh, educated to be able to work through these progressions of, of ledge fish? And, and um, was it, was there something that just clicked for you at a certain moment or was it just experience over time? Man, I'd say just over time, I, I got real familiar with, you know, different things and what to look for. 
And then when I would go to Chickamauga, like you said, the Tennessee River kind of translates from one fishery to the next. Um, when I'd go to Chick for, you know, different tournaments and stuff, it'd be like, huh, that looks like what I fish on Gunnersville. I bet they set up there and you pull over and then you scan it. And it's like, oh my gosh, look, there's a school of fish, you know? So it, it's just become kind of like just second nature to me now after doing it so many times, you know, over the last four and a half years. Um, spent a lot of time out there, like I said, when I'm not competing. I don't guide. Um, you know, I just basically go out there and spend my time on the water fishing, you know, whether it's by myself or with buddies. Fish a lot of like Tuesday nighters and, you know, evening tournaments and jump in a lot of open tournaments and all that kind of stuff and just try to stay on the water. Um, and a lot of it's on the on the TVA. Very cool. Very cool. Um, let's let's dive into determining shallow or deep at Gunnersville. Uh, we talked uh, in the intro about um, there was there was a bluegill bite, you know, going mm-hmm. on and 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 it and it went really well for some anglers. Dudley won the bluegill tournament. I mentioned in the intro he finished fourth, but uh, and what I mean by that he won the you know of the guys that were targeting that pattern, you know, he, he kind of finished the highest in the tournament. Um, for you, was it, was it difficult to determine in practice? You get two days of practice for a Bass Pro Tour event. Uh, was it difficult to determine which way you were going with, with this, with this strategy? Um, you know, at first, before the tournament started, I knew there were going to be multiple different kind of things going on. You know, obviously in May, you've got still fish spawning. You know, I did find fish in practice, you know, largemouth on beds um, that I never even went back to. You know, they weren't big fish or anything like two and a half to three pounders. Right. Um, you know, and then obviously I, I, I wanted to spend a day shallow. So I spent the second day of practice shallow. And I, I went to some of my areas that I know get a big population of bass that spawn. And in turn, you get the bluegill to spawn there. You know, they all use similar stuff. Basically, they're targeting shell bars. And and if you're not familiar with the Tennessee River, or if maybe even you are, um, not just you, Kurt, but people viewing, sure. uh, yeah. um, you know, shell bars on the Tennessee River, based on my experience over the last few years, are the most important thing, like the okay. top tier most important thing, like over anything else, shell bars are the deal. I mean, whether it's in a foot of water or out in 30 feet of water, a shell bar is a bass's home on the Tennessee River. Um, and so anyway, I went into these areas and practice, looked around some shell bars, basically which when you're shallow, you're looking for points, the same kind of stuff you'd look for on other fisheries. But in in, in Gunnersville, you're looking for, for those areas that have a hard bottom, you know, um, places where the, the bottom can easily be cleared off by the bass or the bluegill in order to create their beds. Sure. Uh, man, I found one point in practice that was like 100 yards long and the entire thing was covered with bluegill beds. <laughs> and there was, I mean, there was like basically what you would see out on a ledge, you know, with your graph amount of bass swimming around this point. Um, but they were so hard to catch. Okay. Like incredibly hard to catch. Like I caught three or four of them, but they're all smaller, you know, two, two and a quarter, two and a half. Um, but I saw, you know, some four or five, five and a half, maybe not much bigger than that, but some good ones, you know, nice quality fish, but they were so difficult to catch. Um, you know, I think that day two of practice, I only had like 12 pounds, you know, up shallow. It was not easy to get them to bite. Obviously I'm moving around fast and and when you're shallow, you want to be stealthy. Um, but I just, man, I just, this time of the year, I want to be deep, you know, before the tournament started, I talked to a buddy of mine and he's like, what are you going to do? And I was like, 
It's like, man, I hate to do this coming into a tournament. You know, I hate to have preconceived. preconceived. Yes, yes. But I was like, I'm going to fish out deep. You know, I just I just know Gunnersville this time of the year. And I, I was real dead set on wanting to do that. And day one of practice, I ran around. And since it's only 80 guys and a lot of like 90 percent of these guys know to look out there. I figured, you know what, I'm going to practice deep one day and scan a bunch of stuff and try to locate my my best schools, you know, or where I felt like I had the best groups of fish. And, man, I made a few casts, and all those casts that day were with this guy right here. Uh, this is actually a smaller spoon. You know, a lot of guys watched me on live and thought I was throwing a big old magnum spoon. This is actually a five-inch Nichols, uh, just Lake Fork flutter spoon. Yep. And, uh, man, That's I – old, old school spoon. It is. <laughs> It is, but I had 21 pounds that first day, just running around and making like one or two casts on each school with that spoon. And, uh, I was like, man, the, the quality bites are out here, you know, and I caught a number of other like three, three and a half pounders that didn't, you know, didn't, wouldn't have helped towards my best five that first day of practice, but just good quality fish that you could still have in a 20 pound bag. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so you were all in, but. But the cool thing is, you know, from from your description here, you know, you kept it honest up shallow. So so uh, you kind of you kind of did your due diligence right there. You know, as the event progressed, um, particularly in the championship round, and and you could see this through the qualifying round as well. And and that was, you know, some places got beat up pretty bad and it got tough. Uh, you had some, you know, some flip flopping where an angler would add eighteen to twenty two pounds, and then they'd have, you know, three for eight or, or whatever, you know. And you you saw some of that flip flopping, but you know, it it kind of started to get tough. We saw you have a fair first day for for the championship round, and then ultimately finish second. How did you adjust with that bite getting a little bit tougher as the tournament progressed to solidify that second place finish? Yeah. So you're, you're, you know, totally right. You know, through the, through the qualifying rounds, it felt really just kind of natural and kind of easy. You know, I'd pull up on stuff where I saw some fish where I knew there were fish, you know, I'd look at them on active target and, you know, I may not catch a lot, but I'd pluck off one to four fish off each school, you know, was what it was kind of coming down to. And my quality was good. You know, I was catching mostly high twos at the very smallest up to like five and a quarter, five and a half pounders. Um, you know, come the the knockout round, it got way tougher. I think I only had three fish in the first, two fish in the first period, one of which was a four pounder, which, you know, obviously that's a fish that you need to have, you know, your 20 pounds or better. Absolutely. Um, the, the other one was like a two, two and three quarters. So I was, I was having a way slower start considering the other two days I had, you know, 20 plus in the morning first period. Um, so anyway, my adjustment, you know, I know on Gunnersville. A lot of the times I, I looked at the, you know, the one benefit of fishing the Bass Pro Tour is we get to know what everybody else has. Um, yes. So <laughs> score tracker. <laughs> exactly. And even though it's my first year, I kind of understand. I've watched a lot of the Bass Pro Tour over the last few years. I understand sort of how to utilize that as a tool. And I saw a bunch of guys around me, offshore fishing, ledge fishing, and, you know, guys like Matt Lee, Jordan Lee, Josh Butler, um, you know, a lot of guys that really know how to catch them on Gunnersville out deep, um, local guys, and they were struggling. Like Matt and Jordan, that first period did not have a fish. I think uh, Butler only had a couple. And so I was like, man, this lower end of the lake is just not firing this morning. And so I ran about 10 miles up the lake and I got to more of the middle section of the lake. And a lot of the times those fish will act differently than the lower end fish. 
And I pulled up on a school, couldn't get them to fire, pulled up on the next school. And my second cast with a big crankbait, you know, I doubled and that filled my limit. And that was kind of that momentum that I needed for that knockout round to just say, okay, it can happen today. I just need to keep grinding. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome stuff. And we're going to take a quick breather right here. Uh, I got to take a moment to uh, thank Bass Pro Shops, man. Uh, presenting partner in this feature angler spotlight segment of Bass Edge Radio. Bass Pro Shops always reminding you that we all live downstream. All right, Jacob, running right back into it. Um, the TVA you talked about right there before we went to that little little voice break of running up mid-lake. If anybody knows Gunnersville, and even if you don't know Gunnersville, you can pull up a Navionics map, get a paper map, look at it on, uh, you know, Lake Master, what, you know, whatever your choice is of, of graphing. You'll notice that the middle of that lake is really kind of a current choke point. It comes out of, of the uh, upper river reaches uh, where it's more narrow, and, and then it kind of spreads out when those creeks start. And then there's a small choke point with uh, a couple of humps and some islands kind of in that midsection. And then at the bottom end of the lake before, there's a big turn in the lake, and it really widens up. Do you feel like it's a current-driven scenario why the lower lake might have you know, been rougher that morning and that mid lake was a little bit better if they're pulling less water? Can you find some of those choke points in the main river current and do a little bit better and, and have those fish fire more often than, than maybe a wider section of the lake? Yeah, I think there's a culmination of the current for sure. I think the current is a big deal on the TVA and I don't really necessarily understand like when it's lower current, like we were only, we were getting anywhere from like 15 to 17,000, which is, I mean, it's, it was all relative because before our event we had, you know, anywhere from five to like 7,000 for like a week or so. And so those fish were used to that lower current. Um, and what that typically does is it scatters them out more. And when you get more current, it'll, it'll suck them tired together. You know, they'll actually hang out in those little bit, you know, either less current areas or maybe those feeding paths where stuff kind of comes through. Um, so we had decent current, but I think you're right. I think that lower end, that current has more room to spread out. It doesn't, it's not as tightly condensed, you know, shooting down that, you know, if you're looking at a map, you know, the waterfront area is where I would consider like mid lake, um, right. all the way up to like goose pond. It's still, I would consider goose pond a little bit more on like the upper end of the lake. And then as you start to get up more and more, I mean, you've got, so like I would consider Goose Pond like the upper end. And then once you get a big above BB Comer, it's still technically the lake, but really you're more into like the river at that point. Yeah. I feel like too, uh, just being there a few times that I have been, uh, that, that bottom portion really starts to spread out there when you get about to the mouth of Seabowl Creek, you know, it, yep. it, uh, that's kind of where it, where it really spreads. And, and it feels like, you know, a lot of fish caught in that section of the lake though, down there, uh, before the Spring Creek Bridge and, and, and the main bridge that crosses the lake down there. But, man, such a dynamic fishery. We, we could sit here and break that thing down for days. But uh, let, let's talk a little bit about moving forward into 2023. Man, you're currently sitting in a pretty good spot. You know, mm -hmm. rookie on the tour, Bass Pro Tour, 30th place in AOY. Um, we're starting to move into a little bit different behavior cycle of the year. You know, we're here in the June 1 and, and we're into this kind of early summer deal. But 
you know, you're going to be moving north. You've got uh, three northern events, I believe the last three events of the year. Um, what's your focus to kind of keep the momentum rolling? How will you, um, you know, kind of approach this, this, you know, last segment of the tour season? Yeah, it's definitely a different part of the schedule. You know, when we go up north, you, you're faced with, uh, you know, more like it, you kind of go backwards almost in, in in time frame. You know, even though it's forward in the time of the year, <laughs> you're going backwards as far as, you know, like the stages of the fish, you know, because right now in Gunnersville, they're 90% post-spawn and we're going to go up to Cayuga and they're probably going to be spawning and maybe even some pre-spawn. I'm not exactly sure. Is this the probably- earliest they've ever been to Cayuga? This time I of think year? so. I think okay. so. Okay. I, I felt that way as well. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a really interesting dynamic. What, what, you know, so, so talking about those things and kind of, you know, even though you're moving forward in the calendar year, you're kind of moving backwards potentially in the bass behavior aspect. Um, where, where is Jacob Wall thinking that this, this lies into him and how's he going to keep that momentum going? Man, I, I had a good event last year up north on the St. Lawrence. You know, I, I got third up there in the championship, had a great event. I grew up fishing for smallmouth out on the West Coast. I love fishing, you know, uh, that type of, you know, open water, clear water. Clear water does not intimidate me at all. In fact, I, I almost prefer clear water. Um, and I, I love throwing a spinning rod, you know, even though down here I throw a lot of big rods, big line, big, you know, baits, that kind of stuff. You know, once we go up there, it's going to be a lot more spinning rods, lighter line, um, and it's all within my wheelhouse. And I, I don't know, man. I just I, I've always, you know, been pretty good at being diverse in the way that I approach things. And so, as time goes on with active target, I get better and better with that. And I think that's going to be a big deal up there. You know, looking at fish, either singular fish or little groups of fish, and and I think that's going to be a big deal is using your electronics just like it was on Gunnersville. And so. I'm just going to utilize all the little nuances that I know and try to try to make things happen. Uh, One thing that I will do since I've never been to any of the next three stops before, and I did not get a chance, uh, uh, you know, like Alec did, you know, it sounded like he had a lot of practice, you know, uh, down there on Rayburn. I didn't have a chance to go up and pre-practice for these events. So what I'll do is I'll pick an area of the lake. I'll do some, you know, research online, figure out sort of what historically, you know, maybe not, exact spots but sure um, i'm looking for like generalized, generalized areas of the lake sections of the lake and and i'll kind of break down what i feel like is going to be a good higher you know percentage area for me and just kind of put my head down in that area and and, and pick things apart um very similar to what alec was saying you know listening to him he he has a very uh, he, he sounds like a very seasoned angler even though he's only 23 23 yeah it's crazy yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, talking about uh, the West Coast and you fishing for some smallies back there and kind of having that in your in your youth repertoire that you can kind of lean on a little bit. Did you get to fish the Columbia a whole lot? I didn't fish it a ton, but I have fished the Columbia a fair amount. Does um, it translate to uh, the same setup as the St. Lawrence Seaway? You know, the way that that place sets up? Man, I haven't fished the Columbia enough to really know the translation. Um, You know, based on my experience on the Columbia, it's been a lot more shallow water um, experience. You know, it seems like I caught a lot more fish on the Columbia up shallower than I did on the the St. Lawrence. Um, There's more current on the Columbia. The current on the Columbia is real strong. 
Um, okay. Really strong. I mean, you got a lot of current on the St. Lawrence too, um, but through certain sections. Other sections, you know, it kind of slows down once it widens out. But right. um, didn't really fish to Columbia enough to to have a whole lot to compare and contrast. Right. I want to I want to just throw that out there. You know, I, I love those West Coast fishers. You know, some of them don't get talked about enough, but man, they've. Um, and, and obviously, you know, Oregon is not the hotbed of bassers, right? But no. here comes Jacob Wall right out of the state of Oregon. So that is, that's freaking awesome. I just love talking. I love the West Coast stuff. I always try to get out there whenever I can. I love fishing Havasu, Mead, where you won your college event. Yep. Uh, I got lucky enough to have a, uh, had a good U.S. Open event out there one year. And uh, anyway, the West Coast is intriguing to me. I love the way that, that uh, you grew up there and it was part of your uh, developmental process. So that was really cool. Jacob, you're 28 years old doing your thing and you're doing it well. That is a song by the way. Uh, but, <laughs> but you know, working your way up through the system as a, a younger angler in the game, what can you tell anglers young or, or old or middle-aged, um, you know, that are striving to get into your shoes? Man. I mean, the biggest thing for me is just, uh, staying, consistent and, and, and not, you know, giving up. And, um, you know, there's a lot of times in this sport ups and downs and over the last, I don't know, I really didn't have this like outlook on it until maybe last year, maybe partway through the year before, but I really have tried not to get too high with the highs and not too low with the lows, you know, stay really like in the middle, stay neutral, whether you're having success or whether you're not having success, just try to stay even keeled and, uh, you know, don't let things kind of sway you positive or negative. And, and, and I think that'll benefit you, you and your fishing and really just throughout life. Very cool, man. Those are, those are wise words. You've been, you've been through the gauntlet. Uh, you're on the top, right? I know you've got more steps you're looking to climb. And, uh, man, we're going to look forward. Any final thoughts you got for the uh, Bass Edge listeners out there? Man, just thank you so much, Kurt, for the opportunity. I appreciate it. This has been cool, fun, and uh, look forward to the next event up north. Heck yeah, man. Well, good luck. We're going to follow your progress up there. It's been fun to have you on the show. Thanks for breaking down TVA impoundments like you did, man. Really appreciate that. Everybody, don't go away. We're going to have my final thoughts right after this break. We'll be right back. A rush of tournament adrenaline. Nitro, the choice of champions. Where performance meets play. Nitro, a big water beast. A pure fishing machine. Nitro, release the champion within. Nobody wants to run out of power when they're on the water. There is a better way. Introducing the Charge Marine Power Management Station from PowerPole that does the work of three devices, a traditional battery charger, a charge on the run, and an emergency start system. PowerPole Charge. Jacob, appreciate you being on the show, man. We're going to close it out with some final thoughts while you're tweaking some baits. But uh, and again, it was great to have you on the program. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. All right.
All right, here we go. We've got uh, some final thoughts and uh, kind of a wrap up of the uh, episode. Want to shoot back real quick. Let's talk about the uh, interview we had with Alec Morrison. Uh, Alec, you know, like like I say, kind of blew that whole. I mean, not like I say, like he showed. You know, just kind of blew that thing out there. Sam Rayburn. One tidbit I, I really took away from his interview was that he he talked about idling through those big expansive points and fl- and flats out there at Rayburn. Um, that's why the Carolina rig is so popular in East Texas. Carolina, if you're an East Texas angler, you you throw Carolina rig. Period. Uh, there's no question about it. But um, the the deal with uh, Alec and finding those little what I'll probably say is subtle uh, contour breaks. Uh, into river channels or into the drains and then being able to find cover that is associated with that structure. That was really, I felt like, you know, the the key to his success that he was able to, uh, you know, kind of dial that in. And, you know, a lot of times we see a pattern like that so early in, in a pre-practice process that, or a practice process that, that some of that stuff can go away. But I really feel like just time of year, you know, that was coming to him and, and uh, it was easy for him to uh, capitalize that all the way through. But, but um, a little bit different, I think, approach than you hear from a lot of people that, that are fishing Sam Rayburn. Um, and just lowland reservoirs in general of that type, wherever you, wherever you might live in the country. Um, and the Jacob Wall interview... Man, just another phenomenal young angler. The the neat thing he said kind of toward the end of the interview when he talked about going up north was he's a Lawrence guy, so he's using that active target, the forward-facing sonar. He realizes that there is still uh, adaptation and things that all anglers are going to grow from, from utilizing forward-facing sonar. We've talked about in a few episodes here recently. Uh, we saw uh, Tyler Rivette catching um, fry garters with forward-facing sonar there on Murray. We saw Jacob Palmer catching spawning fish that he couldn't see on, on Santee Cooper. Um, you know, really working a bait over top of fish there that he saw with forward-facing sonar. And, and here we've got Jacob Wall. Uh, taking his forward-facing sonar, understanding where fish are being set up on these ledges, and then utilizing a glide bait, a big bait, something that he, it was pretty apparent he really hadn't thought about a whole lot before throwing that situation, but, but he's learning more about how to use forward-facing sonar, how to get those big fish to react, and, and, and then he talking about them flocking to that glide bait. That was, uh, that was a really cool interview, and, uh, just another awesome learning experience here on Bass Edge Radio. Let's talk real quick about some upcoming events. Uh, as this show goes live here June 1, you got the Bassmaster Elite Series down on the Sabine River. Uh, if you're a local, it's the Sabine, Sabine River. But uh, Jason Christie, the most recent winner there. And uh, Sabine, man, it's a backwater, backcountry deal. Uh, I'm going to look for, you know... Um, the, the, the river anglers to do well in this kind of thing, um, in this, this style of tournament. And um, I don't think 
typically on this body of water, it's a guy that gets off on his own, but the more that the Elite Series visits the Sabine and that expensive, expansive area that they had to fish, I mean, basically from Houston uh, all the way back to Orange, Texas, and, and all the rivers and creeks and canals in between, it's possible we're going to see somebody else kind of get away from the crowd and uh, come out with a victory there. So stay tuned for that Bassmaster Elite Series on the Sabine. Uh, as Jacob mentioned earlier, he's headed off to Cayuga in uh, New York. Um, that's kind of that southern tier of New York, kind of western New York. But uh, Lake Cayuga, man, this time of year, I don't, I don't believe the Bass Pro Tour has been there this early in the year. Dustin Connell won the last major event that was on Cayuga, uh, targeting forward-facing sonar, smallmouth bass primarily. Dakota Ebear also had a ridiculous event uh, doing the same thing. Um, I'm going to say that forward-facing sonar is probably going to be important in this event, but I think it's going to be a spawn fest. Uh, I feel like anglers are going to be able to pick off some Big, big spawning fish. Uh, those smallmouth out there in Cayuga are, especially in that middle section of the lake where it gets up to about 300 feet deep. It's a glacier lake. So it's long and skinny, but a lot of those fish in the mid-lake section don't get really uh, targeted a whole lot. And I think the time of year that they're visiting up there, you're gonna see some big, big smallmouth caught off the bed. So that's gonna be fun to watch. Um, Man, that's going to wrap up the show. Big shout out to Jacob Wall. Thank you for joining us here on, on the program. And congratulations on that second place finish at the BBT. Alec Morrison, big Toyota MLF win. Uh, we're going to be watching him up in New York, see what he if he can back this deal up with the uh, Northern, Northern Toyota Series. And, um, man, be sure that you uh, tune back into Bass Edge Radio. We're going to have another episode, of course, on June the 15th. Uh, where we're going to be continuing to chat bassin and become better anglers. And, uh, man, it's cool. We're going to do this all together, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, the Bass Edge podcast, remember, now available on YouTube. Uh, that's right, through Bass Edge's YouTube, continuing on your audio podcast platform, Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. Don't forget, you can keep up our website, BassEdge.com. Bass Edge, of course, presented by Megaware Keelguard and also, uh, which is the developer of the first DIY keel protector, providing boat owners from protective, excuse me, protecting from grinding salt, abrasive rocks, concrete boat ramps, along with nitro performance, bass boats, bass pro shops, and power pole. Adios, everybody. We're going to see you next time here at Bass Edge Radio. Bye-bye.